The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? You can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's out of your boxes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan, presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 54, our final pod for the year that is 2020, a year that isn't over yet, so uh, stay vigilant out there. But we're all on our way to 2021, and the lineup will return then. No guests for today's episode were assisted by producer extraordinaire Ryan Fawcett later on, but for now... You're stuck with me. Uh, fortunately, I'm well-practiced at talking to myself. Uh, it'll probably be a slightly shorter episode than our normal pods. Uh, we're going to run through fantasy autopsy for the opening events of the season, go through the listener mailbag, and hopefully close out our year in the spirit of appreciation. On the topic of gratitude, the opening men's and women's CT events of the season completed Sunday with two-time world champion Tyler Wright besting reigning four-time world champion Carissa Moore to claim the Maui Pro presented by Roxy at the Bonsai Pipeline. And two-time world champ John John Florence claiming his first Pipe Masters title in winning the Billabong Pipe Masters presented by Hydroflask over fellow two-time world champ Gabriel Medina. John is the first Hawaiian to claim the Pipe Masters since Andy Irons in 2006. Congrats to both him and Tyler. The season is off and running. Championship Tour Surfing is back, which also means that Fantasy Surfing is back. And the Lineup Podcast Fantasy League has over 2,000 teams in there, which is awesome. Thanks to everyone who joined. And if you haven't yet, it's not too late. You can go to worldsurfleague.com, click on Fantasy, register, and join the Lineup Podcast Fantasy League. We'll be talking about it every event. To that end, for the opening events of the season, the Maui Pro presented by Roxy and the Billabong Pipe Masters presented by Hydroflask, those bore witness to Team Bluff Beaver edging out Team Lord Capacetti 531.43 to 529.77, taking the first win of the season in the lineup podcast Fantasy League. Congratulations to the Bluff Beavers. My own team, uh, which I'm ranked 30,802nd on the global leaderboard and 1,312th in the lineup fantasy league, went as follows. On the women's side, I had Carissa Moore, who ended up runner-up to eventual winner Tyler Wright. Steph Gilmore, who went down in the quarterfinals to Tyler Wright. Joanne DeFay, who went down to, in the round of 16 to Tyler Wright. And Tyler Wright herself as my... I don't know what we're calling it, power pick, lightning pick, whatever it was, who won the event. So a lot of friendly fire in there for me. Um, Tyler sort of rampaged through the field. I should get smarter in future. But um, yeah, I think whether it was at Honolulu Bay or Pipe, I was happy with my picks there. On the men's side, I had Gabriel Medina, who finished runner-up to John John Florence. Uh, John John Florence, who ended up winning the event. Uh, Ryan Callanan, who went down to Idlo Ferreira in the round of 16. Julian Wilson, who uh, went down to Jack Robinson in the round of 32. Julian was also my uh, power or my lightning pick, whatever that was. 
Uh, Jack Freestone, who went down to Gabriel Medina in the round of 16. Michelle Perez, who went down to Jadson Andre in the round of 32. Jack Robinson, who went down to Kelly Slater in the round of 16. And Adriana D'Souza, who went down to Wade Carmichael and Mikey Wright in the elimination round. So not the best showing from the guys. I think uh, the conditions were obviously challenging. But yeah, I don't know. My power pick with Julian, I'm still on this kick of, you know, he's no longer with Hurley. He's supporting a young family. He has been so, so talented for so long that I do think that he's been pushed a little bit. And and I think we have the potential to kind of see him weaponize that talent uh, in this season. We didn't see it in the opening event necessarily, but I'm interested to see how he does at Sunset Beach. So that's it for the initial round of the Lineup Fantasy League. Make sure you register and get your teams ready for the next stop at the Sunset Open in support of We Are One Ocean in early January. When we come back, we'll get to the listener mailbag, but first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. So we have our end of year mailbag, which is always fun. And for this segment, we're going to bring in producer extraordinaire Ryan Fawcett to fire some listener questions at me. Um, You know, whether we're doing mailbag or not, we really appreciate everyone talking to us both on Instagram and on Twitter. We do our best to reply to everyone. So if you don't already, uh, please follow us on either platform at, at the lineup pod or at Dave Prodan. We really appreciate all the feedback. All right, Ryan, how are you today, buddy? I am good. Thanks for having me on, Dave. I think I'm a longtime listener, first time caller, I guess, because I've listened and produced uh, all of the episodes so far. So it's good to be on the show. <laughs> That's fair. I don't know if you listen to all the episodes. I think sometimes <laughs> you, you nod off, but no. Uh, for those <laughs> out there who don't know, Ryan is uh, the unsung hero of the lineup. He does all of our producing, a ton of our. Uh, your brains trust, uh, editorializing, and uh, he's a huge part of this show. Listeners know me best from uh, the the lightning sound that they hear right before the lightning round. That that's my doing. That's my call to that's fame. That's right. That's right. <laughs> You've reached the top of the mountain in terms of accomplishments. <laughs> that's right. All right. So mailbag time. Um, we had a lot that came in. I think we picked a few. So um, go ahead and fire when ready, Ryan. Yeah. So uh, first one comes from someone that writes in quite a lot, Noah Purington. And Noah Purington asks, Dave, which surfers got hungrier after the long break and which ones didn't? Um, Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, It makes me think like kind of related um, earlier in the event windows when, um, you know, everyone was kind of scoping the form of the world's best surfers for the first time in months. um, Someone had said to me on the side, it looks like every single one of the women have spent the entirety of 2020 training and a number of the guys look kind of doughy, which (laughs) while kind of a gross overgeneralization, I thought was a interesting observation nonetheless. Um, On the the hungry side, I think the two that stood out for the women were obviously Tyler and Carissa, but for different reasons. Um, You know, Tyler 
has done an incredible amount of work in recent years, and she is surfing for something much bigger than uh, she ever has before. And um, she seems really unbeatable, like whether she's working on equipment or her fitness or her kind of heat tactics. I think the fact that she's kind of elevated the purpose of what she's doing um, has just kind of focused her in this really radical way. Um, and yeah, and I think that was apparent, you know, at the Tweed Coast Pro Countdown event earlier in the year and, and certainly apparent in, in at Honolulu Bay and at Pipe. So that's one. And then Carissa on the women would be the other one. Um, you know, I think while she'd planned on taking 2020 off anyway, it looks like she's been really refreshed by by the non-season and, and I'm sure she's going to be surfing at, at a really, really high level all year. To be honest, I think kind of similar to the observation before, I think all the women look really hungry to be back in competition and Sunset Beach is going to be really interesting. On the men's side, um, the hungry standouts to me were um, John John. Uh, it's an easy one, but it looks like he really wants to make a statement. Um, you know, maybe it's related to, you know, launching his own company, but um, maybe it's related to wanting to capture a long overdue Pipe Masters title. But I don't know. I think he's just dealt with so much injury in recent seasons, and he's probably just looking forward to a full year of, of healthy competition. Um, Gabriel and Italo um, both look fired up, but they kind of always do. I think, you know, it was interesting. We were talking about this before the event, but Gabby is one of those guys that he tends to to light it up at the end of the season, even in the years when he he goes on his title runs. And he, he sometimes starts the season slower, but he's such a good surfer at pipe. He's been in so many finals out there, even though he's he's still pretty young in his career. Um, so we kind of we kind of like, you know, waxed out loud about like what would it look like for him to start the season at pipe? And I think we saw it. Like, I think he was really focused. I think that venue lends itself to him and he made a final and that could spell trouble for everybody, you know, moving forward. And then the other one that looked really hungry to me was Kelly. Um, and I, I've had the good fortune to work with him for a long time. And I don't know. I, I think a lot of who he is still remains like a cipher to me, but you know, especially when it comes to motivation. Um, and I don't know everything he's been up to this offseason, but he seemed really fired up. Um, and nowhere was that more apparent than his semifinal against John John. Um, he obviously has a special relationship with Pipe. And uh, what I think he would admit to, and certainly what I would say, a less than special relationship with Sunset Beach. <laughs> so we'll see if that uh, that fire carries over to the second event for him. But yeah, it'll be interesting. I think everyone, because of the year we've had, and the challenges we've had and the fact that we've really upended the CT schedule, you know, some people thrive and change and some people it takes a while for them to get to get rolling. Um, so we'll see how everyone deals with this first leg when we go to Sunset Beach in a few weeks and when we go to Steamer Lane after that. It'll be interesting to see how everyone navigates uh, the changes. Yeah, I'll echo what you said on Tyler. I think she just looked outstanding and we knew I think we kind of knew it was going to be that way not only from I mean she was on the podcast a few weeks ago um, and one of the biggest things I took away from that was whenever she said like the comp she talked about the confidence that she has going into competitions and how she doesn't understand why some of the other girls don't just expect they can win every time they go out because she does and that confidence with Tyler is something that's like crazy to see on display um, and she looked good in the Tweed Coast. Obviously, she won that event. She, I don't think she's lost a heat in 2020 yet. She she went down kind of early in weird conditions at Stradbrook. Okay. But 
I kind of count that as a non one. I, I don't know. <laughs> like she, I'm with you. Like I, I don't know. She might be like the baddest motherfucker in surfing right now. Like hands exactly. down. Like I, I don't. I uh, men's and women's. Like I don't think there's anyone else that's like tougher than her right now, which is cool. She's gonna be impossible to beat, I think. And then I will. Na- you didn't name anybody that's uh, doesn't look hungry. And so I want to name somebody because, but I want to give first who I think looks hungry on the uh, men's side. Uh, Idolo, I mean, I don't know what his injuries are. And I don't know if you know what his injuries are, but I know he looked like he broke a rib. He looked like he had lacerations. <laughs> like he looked like he was in pain. And he still went out against Gabe and got the highest wave in that he, like, it, he, if, if that's not hunger, like, he could have been like, nah, I'm good. I'm like, I've got broken bones. I don't think I'm going to surf against Gabriel Medina. But he went out there and he almost won it. He almost won. Yeah, he he's in fifth gear like all the time. Like it's it's kind of, and when he got hurt, I think you're right. Like when he did that, I thought the same thing. I'm like, man, I wonder if he like broke a rib. But I don't know. He was like sort of the the knight from Monty Python where he's just like, oh, it's just a flesh wound kind of thing. He's got no arms, no legs. He's still out there punting and stuff. So. That's right. And then uh, the person, I don't know. I'm, not, I'm just Go going to say name his name. some names, Fawcett. <laughs> I think Felipe Toledo looked a mm. little bit out of shape. I think he, he had an early exit. I know his thing isn't big, barely waves. Like that's not his forte. You know, let's see how he looks whenever he can do some airs and get some speed. But he looked like he wasn't in the best shape and he had an early exit. So I don't, I don't know how hungry he is. We'd have to get him back on the podcast. Maybe we can ask, but he didn't <laughs> look like he was in the best shape to me. It's interesting, right? Like all year I've been talking to people about Felipe because he's been putting edits out and he definitely looked like he put on more muscle and, and a little more weight. And it's interesting, right? Because you know, everyone's trying to look for the angle and, and it's like, well, you know, his power always came from his speed, kind of in like the Rob Machado sense, like Rob's not the biggest guy, but he was like a very powerful surfer because he was so fast um, and he's so talented. Same with Felipe. And we always kind of wondered like, well, you know, if he gets bigger, does that not help his power because it's going to slow him down? But then I don't know. I was at um, rumble at the ranch and he looked like unbeatable right Right. so i was like well i'll just shut up then but a a lot of people have said the same thing and you've seen that in surfing over time like as surfers kind of like mature into adult physiques they pack on the muscle you know i can think of like dusty Payne being one like gabriel medina being another one Mm -hmm. jordy smith being another one and then they realize like "Mm, all this muscle is maybe not the best and then they pull it back and they increase their flexibility and they end up surfing like way, way better. So I don't know if that's going to be it for Felipe or not. I actually think it's one of those things where I know it's easy to kind of say, did he, it's pipe again. And I I actually think it's, it's less about his ability out there and certainly less about his like balls in terms of wanting to go because he charges when he wants to i just think it's become almost like a psychological thing of like everyone expects me to do well here or not expects me everyone thinks i'm not going to do well here i have to prove them right Mm -hmm. and then before you know it he's like bounded out early in the event and it had nothing to do with like talent or like desire it was just like it was just kind of one of those like big kind of i don't know like gorillas in the room for him sort of thing all right uh let's move on to the next question it's from at test does and they ask what do you think surfing both recreational and professional does really well and what needs work huh 
Well, I mean, I think that's an interesting question. I'm not a... Uh... I'm not 100% sure how to answer it. I, I think if I'm reading it or if I'm, I'm hearing it right, like I think recreational surfing is just maybe she's talking about or they're talking about the act of surfing. And that's, I don't know, that's one of the funnest things you can do in my opinion. And I think that the act of surfing, it's so interesting because there are so many elements to it. You know, there's ocean knowledge and like wave riding approach and technique and equipment and fitness and flexibility and it goes on and on and you can spend your whole lifetime improving at it and never come close to mastering it, which I think keeps it really interesting. And I think even Kelly said that once. He said, uh, you can never master surfing, which hmm. I think is why it's, I think it's something it does really right, you know, sort of unintentionally. I just think it's sort of baked into the idea of it. On the professional side, I think that the despite the challenges we have on occasion, uh, you know, year in and year out, I think we do our best to stay true to what I think is kind of the point of it all, which is getting the best surfers you can find and putting them in the best waves you can find and creating conditions for, you know, really the evolution of human potential. And and I'll, I really think we see that every event. You know, on both sides, in terms of what needs work, um, you know, I think the institutions that are built on the ideas of surfing, both recreational and professional, um, including the WSL, uh, could benefit from, you know, sober introspection and focus and inclusion and diversity and just kind of being healthier places that foster healthy communities and people, which is something we've talked a lot about on this podcast. And I think there's a long way to go for both of those things, which I believe can get there because, again, I think kind of the idea of surfing or the act of surfing is is has those things in it. I just think that the institutions that have been built on top of it, like across the board, have lost their way a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I agree. I, I, I'm i putting together a bingo card uh, for <laughs> things that Dave Prohan says, uh, institutions built on the ideas of surfing is on that card. Um, but I think you're right. I think, um, you know, I'm a fairly new surfer um, over the past couple of years. And I think that if there's one thing that, could do a little bit better is that inclusion in that healthier place when it comes to like new surfers and I don't know there is there's the localism kind of stuff we always talk about on the podcast and that kind of stuff as a new surfer I don't know I I was talking to one of our guys on the editorial board not too long ago and I was like if this was basketball and someone was like here's a 30-foot hoop you've never shot a basketball before shoot this basketball but if you interrupt my shooting of my basketball I'm gonna come off the court and punch you in the face like there can be a lot of like walls to get into surfing when it's not the friendliest place totally and I don't think it's you know it's a real kind of gray conversation you know because when I grew up surfing all those sort of problematic elements were probably there but there was also this just kind of human being thing of like people passing on information now Mm. sometimes it was delivered harshly um, Mm -hmm. but it was still like you learned like where to be in the lineup and you learned like you know taking you know being respectful and you learned like you learned all these things that I just don't see a lot of that happening in lineups anywhere right now. Like people just don't talk to each other. And I wonder if part of that is kind of just this sort of species based isolation with the information age of like, nah, like 
when I talk to people, it's through texts. Like right. I don't talk to people in pe- in person. Now I'm kind of oversimplifying it, but like I do think that's kind of part of it. Like I think people at every level in surfing are just kind of going out there and they're they're kind of like visor down. Um, so so nothing's being shared, you know. And then I hear it on the other side of people that have been surfing a long time that are really frustrated at all these people. That are, that are beginners or intermediate surfers that don't seem to know these sort of basic principles of the lineup. Right. But I think back to when I started and it's like, well, but no one's talking to them about it. And there's just zero, like, there's zero identity in lineups, right? Like people kind of don't know who the local is or who the elder is or like what respect is or people don't pay attention because none of it's designed to do that as much as it used to be. So it, it's an interesting thing, you know? And I, I think you're right, like, I don't know, just just whether you're surfing or not, whether you're playing basketball or ordering a coffee, you know, it probably is just from a, a, a human being standpoint, a good idea to try to talk to people or just interact with people. Um, right. I don't know. And yeah. it feels like it's almost like a weirder, a creepy thing to do these days as opposed to like what it was like 10 years ago before yeah. people had phones. Uh, All right. Uh, next Instagram question from Stephen R. Gent. Might have messed that up. Uh, would the results for the women have been different had they stayed in Maui? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, Pipeline and Honolulu Bay are obviously really different waves. You know, Honolulu Bay is a high performance, right hand point break. Um, it's got a lot of power. Um, it has great performance walls for turns. It has barrel sections. It really is one of those waves where you can you can comprehensively show how good you are. And then Pipeline is this shifting, ledging, you know, barrel in either direction. Um, So they're really different. But on the women's side, even saying that, I actually think the results would have been the same. You know, I think that Tatiana would have beaten Sage in the quarterfinals. I think that Tyler would have beaten Sally and Carissa would have beaten Tatiana in the semis. And I think that Tyler would have beaten Carissa in the final. Um, I don't know if the entire event would have been the same. but I think you know those last few heats were almost sort of written in stone in terms of how I thought they were going to play out. I don't know. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I think you look at what happened in twenty. I mean, when did I guess we ran Maui in twenty eighteen? Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Sorry, the years are all good. Yeah. What's, what's time? <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> but we look at what happened, and Steph won that event, right? Tyler got second, but Tyler looked great. Uh, at Maui and then Carissa I think was in the semifinals and it's just like all the people who were up there are still up there Um, Steph got beat by Tyler in Maui so she wasn't gonna win had we stayed there anyway it's just kind of like it was written in the cards a little bit it was that's Mm. the way it was gonna come out Tati looked incredible so her beating Sage, like you said, I think that was going to happen anyway. And then you get to that upper echelon, and uh, yeah, I don't know how, I don't know where it would change. I don't, I wouldn't put money on Sally versus Tyler. Uh, you know, I, I think it played out how it was going to play out. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say that may have changed is if the conditions at Pipe on the final day were different, um, right. and it was more Pipe. I think Carissa, from what I saw, was really the only one that. Had come close to figuring out that drop at Mm -hmm. pipe. Um, She really nailed it a few times. So I think if it were bigger and maybe more pipeline, more west in the swell, I would have given Carissa a better chance out there. Yeah, I think that's a different question. I mean, that's like, what 
how would it have changed had pipe been different? Um, for yeah. sure. If it were 10 to 12 foot pipe, Carissa would have taken that home. But going back to Maui, staying or staying in Maui, no. Tyler, Tyler takes that in my book every time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. South Coast David asks, why do you think it's taken until 2020 to let the women compete at pipe? Um, well, I mean, I think there's a lot of elements that not everyone is privy to that go into running surfing events. You know, I think since 76, the IPS and the ASP and the WSL for, for decades, obviously, have really primarily operated as sanctioning bodies for uh, event organizers that required uh, sponsorship and permitting to, to run the events. And in recent years, the WSL has taken a more strategic position in, in deciding where and when and how these events are running. But there still are permitting and sponsorship considerations, you know, and with the women at Pipe this year, that wasn't an event, you know, that was a solution that we worked on with local communities and the permitting authorities and our partners and the surfers themselves following the cancellation of competition at Honolulu Bay. Um, so in future, you know, I think with Bill 10 in Hawaii uh, pushing for equal representation in sporting events, it is possible that we'll see the women compete at Pipeline in future, but it still will require like the work of a lot of different groups, it's not just sort of the WSL. There's the permitting bodies, there's sponsorship, there's working with the local communities and the surfers themselves. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't know if I answered the question because, you know, it was almost like it was the first time CT competition for the women happened at Pipeline, but it, it happened as a solution, not as sort of a long-term event. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak to why women haven't competed at Pipe over the past 30, 40 years, but I, I think when you say, like, how much work goes into running an event, there's so much that people outside of the organization, fans, critics, bloggers, they don't see. You know, you and I have both seen the Instagram comments and messages that's like, why are you guys even running? And then at the same time, it's like, you guys should have never stopped running. It's just, there's, you know, it's a polarized opinion for sure, but there's so many people that are just like, well, you should do this. And it's like, okay, but there are permits, there are governments, there are so many things that go into um, running an event that overall, especially the WSL as it is now, does the best it can with the current situation. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I would go better than like the best it can. Like I, and I guess I'm someone who's like, looked behind the curtain at all the challenges <laughs> for way too long, look way too far behind the curtain. But I, I, I always kind of take a step back and I think like, okay, like, you know, year over year, there's sort of endless, you know, relative crises and challenges and obstacles and, and things that, you know, didn't go out or required so much work behind the scenes to kind of make it appear that like it wasn't a dumpster fire. But I always think like year over year, the best surfer in the world wins the world title, you know, right. and that's not a coincidence and it's not an accident. And a lot of work goes into maintaining that integrity and a lot of work by the surfers themselves. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's one of those things where can there be improvement for sure? I think we talk about it pretty much every episode where it's right. like, yeah, this can get better and this can get better. And I think we can get out of our own way here. But I, I do think that year over year, the product speaks for itself. You know, the best surf in the world wins the world title. And that's like kind of like a, a there's no way to dispute that, which I, I think is sort of the best thing about the company. 
All right. Next question from Cheers Nicole. Uh, thoughts on equal pay for equal waves versus equal pay for equal challenge comparatively, i.e. men and women have different bodies and different strengths. Some waves just need more paddle power. What are your thoughts? Mm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think, well, on the equal pay side of things, you know, I think the WSL has been really clear on where it stands there, um, having instituted it across the board in the last few years. On the different bodies and different strengths, um, I think you can kind of look at the the competition at pipe as a recent example. Um, it's a really physically taxing wave, but it's not out of the realm of possibility for the best women surfers on the planet. And I think we saw that with how Tyler and Carissa uh, managed the venue over the weekend. Um, you know, it's one of those funny things. I was I was on the North Shore for uh, longer than I would have preferred, uh, but I was there working on the Apple TV show um, with the guys uh, from Box to Box who did Drive to Survive, and a lot of them are coming into surfing really fresh. And on one of the days before the event started, we were watching it um, from one of the houses, and they looked at me and they said, "Well, like, how much would it take for you to go out there and get a set wave?" And I'm like, "You could keep your money. I can't get one out there, you know." And I am. <laughs> an intermediate, maybe like slightly above intermediate surfer. And they're like, sure you can. And I said, well, like th think of it like this, like, like on a day at pipeline where it's breaking, the takeoff spot is about the size of a coffee table. And, and by that, I mean, if you're one foot too deep, you're fucked. And if you're one foot too far on the shoulder, you're not getting barreled, you know? And it is a shifting coffee table that moves, you know, probably within a space of 50 meters, depending on where the energy on the reef is. And when it's breaking, there are 50 experts all trying to get onto that coffee table. I'm just like, there's no chance I'm getting a wave out there. And I say that because it's similar for anybody at any talent level who doesn't have the experience out at Pipeline. Like, I think it's much less about can the women physically surf pipe and what is their experience out there and how are they going to get more reps out there um, given that that's the environment every time it breaks, you know? So I, I really think it's less about the physical side of it and just experience. And the more experience they have at places like Pipe and Chopu, um, the more their talent's going to shine through. Um, I really do think that. Yeah, I agree. All right, next question. Gypsy Soul Surfer and the Real G Reg both ask, uh, will the WSL now allow women to compete at pipe in future events. So next year, yeah. will we see the women at pipe? Yeah, I mean, I think we we kind of answered that one before, but I guess the short version is, yeah, it is possible. And I think it'll be a conversation that we have with our surfers and our partners and the local communities. Um, but yeah, I think it, it was awesome to see the women compete at pipe for the first time. And it was especially impressive seeing, you know, Tyler and Carissa do their thing out there. And I think in terms of scheduling moving forward, I know we're going through a lot of transitions and changes on the tours and competition framework side of things, but it's certainly been discussed and it will continue to be discussed. So it's uh, it's possible. It's a strong maybe from Dave Pro. Strong, strong, strong maybe, yeah. If I get my way, yeah. <laughs> at White Oakley's asks, who is the biggest threat to John John at Sunset Beach? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. I think... Uh, you know, John, when you account for his, you know, physical size and uh, obvious ability and knowledge, 
uh, on the North Shore, he's going to be really, really hard to beat at, at Sunset Beach, I think. Um, you know, when you think about really his like untouchable performances in recent years at Main Break in Margaret River, which is a similar sort of big open ocean wall, it's hard not to have John Down as the favorite. Um, that said, I think if you look at the men's field um, on the CT for 2020, 2021, I would think that Jordy Smith, Ryan Callanan, Jack Robinson, Griffin Colapinto, Wade Carmichael, and Ethan Ewing w- would also be ones to watch. You know, uh, outside of Jordy, I guess, like all of those guys that I named have been competing at the QS event there for years. And I think that helps, you know, and I think that most of those guys are physically bigger, except for Jack Robinson, who's just preternaturally talented in sort of all conditions and, and has performed out there really well. But all of those guys are, are big power surfers. They're, they're rail surfers. And I think they're going to be the ones to, to really watch at Sunset Beach. I don't know. What about you? Who do you think is going to give John some trouble there? I mean, I don't think anybody's going to give him any trouble. <laughs> it's funny. We have a, a rear view for anybody who hasn't gone back and listened with uh, Morgan Sibilich, who uh, we did Sunset. And it was, um, I think that's the only Sunset rear view we've done, if I remember. Um, I think so. I think you and I are also the only two people that continue to call him Sibilich, but I'm going to keep doing it. So <laughs> Every time on the on the broadcast, I was like, yeah, that's not how he pronounces his name, but whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. From the horse's mouth. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think anybody's going to give John John any trouble. He just looks like a, a world beater right now. And he had that one turn when he came out of the barrel. I don't remember when it was, but he came out of a barrel and just did this huge turn that was so strong and the rail just dug in and it was, it was just, it was what maybe the best turn of the day. And if he looks like that going into sunset, I mean, I don't, I don't see anybody taking him on. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the big difference, you know, if you had to pick one is that John like grew up on the sand at pipe, like that is his backyard. I mean, I think it's, more revealing that he hadn't won a pipe masters until now but i think the trickier it got the the better chance he had because he's just been out there every time it's been like that i think he'll have a similar advantage at sunset beach which is up the road i think the playing field at sunset beach where we talked about it before is the takeoff at pipe kind of being you know a coffee table it is like an open field at at sunset beach and it's so easy to get lost out there when you're competing you don't know if you should sit on this peak or that peak or it's just so vast and so i think that can both play to john's advantage because he he has the familiarity and experience out there but it's also just a broad disadvantage to so many people you know i think over the years it's almost if you if you're gambled on surfing, it'd be the last event you want to gamble on because you could have kind of the odds on favorite in terms of surfing performance and just have that person be completely lost out in the lineup, regardless of their experience. So, right. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. You talk about experience, like maybe that means Kelly is a threat out there. You know, he surfed it a lot. Right. So. He, he surfed it a lot, like, and I, I, I don't know if this is sort of his Jedi mind tricks of being, you know, I'm pretty sure he's on the record as saying he doesn't like that spot. But I, I think it, you know, I think for him psychologically, like, he's also someone who truly believes, and with good reason, um, that he is the best surfer on the planet and has been for decades, and that any time he lost, it wasn't a talent deficiency. It was because, you know, the conditions, he got screwed by the judging and or the conditions 
didn't account for it. I actually think that's a huge reason why he created an artificial wave because he's like, all right, well, I fixed that problem. Like, I, you know, my talent's going to be able to win every time. So I think at Sunset Beach, because it is sort of one of the wider fields in terms of competition, it's easier for anyone to get lost. I think that's why he doesn't like it, you know, experience notwithstanding. He also tends to love riding smaller boards, um, mm. which I think Sunset Beach, and I'm I'm not the authority, but I can, I listen to authorities, um, often say that even sort of the world's best surfers should be riding bigger equipment out there. And so mm. if Kelly doesn't like riding bigger equipment traditionally. He likes riding smaller equipment. Um, that, that He has that against him too. But who knows? Again, maybe he's just sort of like misdirecting all of us and he'll go win the event and we'll be like, oh, okay. Have you seen Gabe surf out there? Do you know what he looks like out there? I have. Um, I've seen him surf out there um, in the QS and and true to form, like he surfs it kind of like no one else on the planet. Like all mm. those challenges that I, I mentioned before, he just kind of like blows through it between, you know, muscle and talent and everything else. And it is a really challenging wave on your backhand. Um, I, I, I want to say that maybe CJ Hobgood might be the last goofy footer to have won out there. It's been a long time. Um, wow. it, it's a hard wave on your backhand to surf. Um, but I do remember Gabe looking really, really impressive. I think he's made the finals out there before. Um, and I'm sure he'll figure out a way to win it. I'm interested to see Italo surf it as well, just because he's so talented and he has such a unique approach that I wonder if, like that talent and approach and that energy is kind of going to blow through some of the other challenges that the venue offers people. Yeah. Well, he's got a few weeks to heal up, hopefully. Uh, That's right. He All right. Last question. Callum Beathro asks, very introspective, Dave, where do you find your happiness in life? Mm. I feel like they pulled that from the lightning round maybe. <laughs> But a uh, version of it, but that's a good question. Um, it's a nice question to end on, uh, and I, it's an easy, easiest one for me. Uh, my kids bring me the most happiness. You know, they're the uh, smartest and kindest and funniest and bravest people I have ever met. And any time I get to spend with them is uh, always the highlight. And then, uh, you know, I guess sort of more broadly, I guess you know, any place I can be a hundred percent present is where I find happiness. And surfing has always been that for me because it just requires all of my attention and focus. Like it's sort of the one place where it's like, all right, I'm not generally not thinking about anything else other than like surviving and getting the next wave and, and trying to improve and stuff, which it's good. I think, you know, we've talked about before. I think that's why it becomes a form of meditation for a lot of people because it is sort of singularly um, important in the moment. So you know, I've always enjoyed doing it and I always feel better when I get out of the water, but that's, that's my answer for that. What about you, Ryan? Where do you find happiness in your life? Oh, I think mostly in uh, laughter. I like to laugh. My, my fiance and my dog, I, I'm, I'm newly adopted a dog. So, um, and laughing with them and, and just uh, enjoying, like you said, being present in the moment in front of us is big. So yeah, that would yeah. be my answer. Good, good answers to round out the uh, the year that was 2020. Well, well thank you, Ryan. Uh, thank you for that segment and all segments, as I said, unsung hero of the lineup. And um, thanks to everyone who sent those through. Um, you know, if you guys do have a question that you want us to answer, whether we're doing a mailbag or not, uh, about anything, you can follow us and send those through on Instagram and Twitter. And that's all we have. That's the lineup presented by Nickelodeon Ultra Pure Gold's episode 54. 
This episode is produced by Ryan Fawcett with art direction by Jason Penning. Thanks to both of them. And thanks to our sponsors for the entire year. Uh, we really appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it's recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash and the Keech Tavognar people. I hope everyone safely gets some waves wherever they're at, and we'll see you all in 2021.